So I guess what we say is it's a complex community of microorganisms fed on these, feed on these inputs, breaking them down and releasing valuable plant nutrition. As the microorganisms feed, the temperature of the pile rises. Compost typically reaches about 130 degrees or higher during the peak decomposition. So composting itself is a very extremely technical process. If you are going to sell compost, you have to take temperature measurements, you have to turn it so often, you have to add water, you have to take out water, you have to open it up, you have to cover it up. There's a million things that you have to do before you can actually sell what's called compost, okay? It's very fussy, they have regulations about it, and it's really hard to do like in your garden. It's even hard for us to do on a farm. We do follow the rules when we do our large-scale decomposition, but in the garden, I throw all that stuff away and I just put the stuff in my bin and I let God take care of it because that's, I figure he's the only one that knows how this stuff really works and he's gonna make it work for me. <laughs> okay, so more, as more material breaks down, the temperature of the composition pile will decrease and ambient air temperatures. At this point, the pile cures and is ready for use as a soil amendment. You need to turn your compost. And if you have a small compost bin, you need to put a fork in it, pick it up, flip it over. You need to get air through there, okay? You might have, if you have a very dry spell, you might need to add a little bit of oil, or oil, I'm sorry, water. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, add oil, we'll just do that. I'm still thinking of, uh, of the, yeah, recipe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know where they found me. <laughs> For use as a soil amendment. When we grow stuff in our garden, um, one of my favorite ways to use the compost that we make is to start a new row in my garden. Oh, we've all tried to start a new row, and you sit there and you have tons and tons of grass and quack grass and everything, and how do you get rid of that stuff? It's really, really hard. So what I would do is I'd start a brand new row. I might mow it right down to the ground, scalp it as close as I can get, and I'll put a pile of compost right on top of my dirt. And then I'll take my potatoes, because that's one of my favorite things to grow, and I'll just put them out there in the order of wherever I want them to be, you know, spaced a foot or two foot apart, depending on what variety I'm trying to grow. And then I'll take a wheelbarrow and I'll go out and I'll just cover the potatoes with compost. And as if any grass comes up, I just pull it out by hand and cover it again. So by the end of the year, I have a brand new bed, I have a ton of potatoes, and I can put something else in there next year as I'm doing my crop rotation. And I didn't have to put down newspaper or cardboard or anything else. And I didn't have to use any kind of chemicals to kill the grass underneath. I try to do, we do do everything without chemicals. If I do ever have a spot though that's really tough, this is just a tip, darkness is the thing that kills the weeds and the grasses better than anything. If you have a rubber tarp or something you can put down for the better part of a year that's black or that's dark that won't let the light through, that will help you the most as far as getting rid of the grasses and stuff. <clears throat> the benefits of compost. It increases the nutrient content of soils. In a home garden, how many of you guys do a soil test? Okay, that's a fair amount. How many of you are a little bit intimidated by doing a soil test? Okay, and how many of you know how to read a soil test? 
Okay, and there we go. So I'm a farmer's wife, and I don't know how to read a soil test. My husband knows how to real soil, read a soil test, and he kind of tells me what it all means. But there's a couple of basic, basic things. It's like NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, and, and potassium. You want, those are the major nutrients you want. And then the other one that's even more important, I believe, than them is organic matter. The biome has to have something to eat. There has to be something in there that can break down. Now, I was asking you guys before about sawdust. If you have too much sawdust in your pile and you put your compost out too soon, all of your nematodes and all of your bugs are going to be busy breaking down that, that wood product and they're not going to release the nitrogen out into the soil. That's why you have to have it fully composted and ready to go before you actually put it out there. Adding wood, adding even leaf, leaves to a garden is not exactly the same as adding compost. It should be broken down really well. And that's one of the things that will help promote the higher yields in your crops. Your plant needs food. And if it's starved for food, it won't grow you food, okay? The whole premise behind organic is to feed the soil that will feed your plants. If we have healthy soil, we'll have healthy plants. It brings and feeds diverse life in the soil. We looked before at the nematodes and all the different bugs in there. When we put compost in, cover crops and compost work hand in hand. They don't do exactly the same thing. A cover crop will not bring in more biodiversity in your underground life, but the compost will. It makes the soil a lot easier to work with. Okay? Um, I live in Wisconsin, and we live on a high side, and we got glaciated like three times. And so we are red clay in Wisconsin, which is, it might sound strange, but it's very hard red clay. We have had to add a lot of compost to our ground. And even on a large scale, we do this on our farm in order to make the, the dirt more palatable for our, our plants. Um, when you get into Iowa, when you get into Illinois, your ground is just like you can stick your hand right into it and go up to your wrist. Where we are, we can't even get a shovel in it in August because it's so hard. So we want to change the composition of our soil if we can by adding more organic matter. In the plains like Illinois, um, years ago, before people came, they would wonder why aren't there any trees there? There was fire after fire after fire and the trees never grew in the plains. They never got big trees and the settlers originally thought that it wasn't good soil. But it turned out to be very black, very rich, very good soil because all the plants would continually get their roots going down that five feet. When your roots go down, you're going to have some more organic matter get down into the soil as well. On a prairie, you might have as much as four feet of good, good, good topsoil to be able to use. And that's how come everything that comes out of Iowa and, and um, Illinois, they might be four, uh, 200, 250 bushel an acre, whereas where we're at, we're more like 150. So that can in, improve, improve how much your soil is easy to work with. It also improves soil porosity. How many of you, you guys all probably got an awful lot of rain last year, or was it dry anywhere in the country? It was a lot of wet. So when you get that much rain, it has to have some place to go. Compost can help your soil hold moisture. If it's too wet, it holds it so it doesn't drown out your plants. And if it's too dry, it can hold it for your plants to use later. It's just a miracle thing for your garden. 
Um, if you don't have it in there, like us with clay, we'll get it, it'll pool on the top, the water will pool on the top if it rains too much. And if it doesn't rain enough, it, hard, it hardens and bakes just like clay. It suppresses plant diseases and pests. If the plant is healthy, it's not gonna be affected as much by when you get pests that come in. Like if there are bugs that are gonna come and eat your plants, they're gonna look for an unhealthy plant. And that never really made sense to me until I, until I started thinking about what is in that plant that is gonna attract a bug. If you have a plant that is sick, if you have a plant that has abrasions on it, if you have a plant that has little holes anywhere, then fungus, mold, whatever wants to come, pests, they're gonna say, hey, there's a weak spot, I'm gonna go in there. And that's how come the plants need to be healthy. They have like a waxy cover over most of the parts of their body, of their body, of their plant. So, so that will help protect against pests and we want to increase that as much as we can. It can reduce the need, need for fertilizer and pesticides and encourage healthy root systems. The root systems, we grew some plants this summer and it was a totally different kind of plant for us and we started with about a half an acre. And we actually dug holes in the ground and planted them all um, orchard style, if you would call it. And we watered them and we fertilized them and we gave these plants everything they needed right in their own little hole. And those roots never went out. They never left. So if we feed the plant too much right inside, right where it's at, or if we don't encourage the roots to grow, they don't get a strong enough root system to hold themselves up when there's storms coming or when it gets dry later on in the year. So when you're working in your garden and you're doing watering, you have to make sure that you don't water them real often and real light. You have to water very deeply to make the roots go down and look for the water and then not water as much. And the compost can help hold that so your plant has it to use later. It can help regenerate poor soils. I was talking about that around our house and it can prevent and manage soil erosion problems, okay? One of our gardens is on a hill and when it rains, it, it pours down through and it used to just wash all the dirt down. Now we have it kind of stacked and staged and we did that a lot with the mulch as well to make it so the water goes down, gets caught, goes down, gets caught. And if it doesn't flow through, you don't have as much of an erosion problem. And it reduces the water demands of plants and trees, meaning you don't have to water as much if you have compost in there that will hold the water from last week when you watered it. If you feed your soil, it will have more nutrients to give your food, okay? That's why we wanna grow our own instead of buying it at the store. By the time you get a plant or a pepper that was picked in California and it, goes, it was picked green, goes on a truck two weeks later, it's hardly alive anymore. You wanna be able to get this stuff out of your own garden. You need to increase the minerals, the organic matter, and the microbes so that your plant has a good way of getting the nutrients into itself. This is kind of a picture of the soil web. Um, it's pretty simplified, but there's, because when you think about what is in the soil and how it works, to me it's just mind boggling. And I can't tell you that I'm, I'm not an expert at this kind of stuff. I'm not a school book expert on what the microbes do in the soil. What I am is a person who goes and looks at my garden and I say, when I put this compost on, it does this. And really tr and truly, God does the rest but you have organic matter that's needed for bacteria and for protozoa and for fungi 
nematodes, all these things that live down there, there's a whole food chain. And as things get bigger and come up out of the soil, then it feeds ultimately birds and animals. What can you put in compost? You can put in grass clippings. You can put in tree leaves. We get approximately 100 dump truck loads of leaves from our city every year. That's a lot of leaves, and that's a lot of compost. Um, it started out, and you guys can go to your own city and find they'll have leaf compost, and they're just dying to give it away. Because what happens when they go through the cities and they pick up all the leaves and the sticks, they run them through a chipper and then put them on a truck. Well, then they take them to an area where they're going to store them. And our city happens to have what's called a tub grinder. So they run it through the leaves and the twigs and the sticks. They run it through the tub grinder. And then they pile it. They don't turn it as often as you would normal compost, but they turn it maybe once when they move the pile. And then it's turned again when it comes by us. And we put it in a pile for about six months. We turn it again. And by that time, it's composted really well. If you guys have ever gone out to a woods or a forest in your area and looked at that dirt that's in the woods, you know how black it is and how soft, and you just want to, I used to tell my husband, just bring me back a skid steer scoop of that, and I'll put that on my garden. But that's what you can make by composting it. In the woods, nobody's farmed that. Nobody's taken out nutrients. It's just putting nutrients back in. And that beautiful black dirt is what really, really, really can make our plants grow nicely. So tree leaves is a wonderful thing. Vegetable and food scraps, coffee grounds, lettuce, potato peels, banana peels, avocados, anything that you eat in your kitchen, and I'm going to say this now, um, that's vegetarian, can go into your compost pile, okay? It's suggested that you don't use meat and meat scraps, and if you're doing it personally in your own yard, I would suggest against that as well. Because when you're talking about composting meat, you actually need to know what you're doing as far as the heat and the length of time, and you need to make sure it's done. Um, printer paper, um, disease-free yard waste. Okay, you don't want to take your tomato plant that had blight and put it in your compost pile. If you composted it 100% perfectly and went through all the list of things you have to do, and you got it up to 130 degrees and you turned it every two days, you could probably kill the blight that was in there. But if you leave it or you make a mistake, you're just going to end up adding blight back onto your, onto your garden. So you don't want to do that if possible. Um, cardboard, vegetarian animal manure. Um, you don't want to put your dog doo-doo out there. But your vegetarian animal, cows, horses, rabbits. Um, on our farm, we have 15 horses. They generate a lot of compost. And it works really well with the, with the sawdust as long as we let it break down long enough. So compost is partially broken down organic matter. What not to compost, I think I might have said that, diseased yard waste, meat and fat, butter and oil, dairy and bones. Pure meat, fat and bones not only carry the risk for disease, it's also very attractive to a wild, wide variety of undesirable animals. Um, in the next couple slides here, you're gonna see how we compost at our farm on a very large scale. Um, we do occasionally have issues with animals. It's not as big a deal on a large farm when you're away from your house as it would be right up by your house. If you would put fish in your compost pile, you're going to get a raccoon that's going to come in and try and dig it up. I don't know, I didn't make it real big, but if you guys can see on the corner here, this is our, our cement yard where we compost fish. 
if you guys can see this boat here, um, we live by Green Bay. And carp is an invasive species in the Great Lakes. And they're trying to get rid of as many of them as they can. So the guys go out and they do bow fishing. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of that. Nobody eats carp. But they take the bows and arrows and they shoot the fish and they have a rope on them and they pull the fish in and they have tournaments. And they're trying to clean up the lake. And so they encourage having these tournaments, but they have semi-truck loads of fish when they're all done. And they really had nowhere to go with it. They would make, some would make fish fertilizer out of it. It was kind of expensive. So we started just saying, yes, we'll take it. And we'll take dump truck load after dump truck load of leaves and bury the fish in the leaves. And that we turn and that we measure the temperature on. And we do a real good job. But by the time we're done, we end up with this black dirt that's got more nitrogen in it than what you get from the leaves alone. This over here is where we compost our horse manure behind the horse barn. We compost it on concrete as well so it doesn't get too, too much rain going through it and we're not losing the nutrients like that. Um, something I don't have a slide on is um, compost tea. Have you guys all heard of compost tea? How many of you have, you have used it? Okay. Do you, like, do you like using the compost tea or do you find it's more trouble than it's worth? On your what farm? Worm. worm farm. So you use compost tea in your worm farm. Oh, from your worm farm. Okay, cool. And then you put that on your plants. Do you find that that works better? We, we've used compost tea as um, a foliar feed before. Have any of you guys ever used it that way, where you just spray it right on your leaves? The plant does have ways, most plants have ways that they can pull in nutrients from their leaves as well. And compost tea is a great way to get the, the nutrients in and in fast. Like you have, um, we one time had a corn crop that was really doing poorly. I don't remember exactly what the problem was, but it was some, there was some deficiency that year. And they were just brown and small. And we ended up using a fish and a, um, and this was to be fed to cattle. So it wasn't going to be fed to people. We never would have used fish if it was to be fed to cattle or to, to people. But, um, it worked really well, and it greened it up within about a day and a half. The nitrogen gets in the plant, and they can use it immediately. This is how people compost that stuff that they sell you. Like Purple Cow, they have these huge piles, and they have compost turners that get in there and actually turn it so that every single piece of compost can be exposed to air, and it can be changed. And they might run down that. It depends upon the temperature, but they might write down, run down it a couple times in a week, and then as it gets more and more composted, they're going to back off until they only have to do it maybe once a month until it's finished. But it's really a huge undertaking, and it's a very exact science. We have piles of what's spent, and we have them in different places on our farm. Um, we, you, we actually have had that as another income for our farm, because as everyone knows, farming isn't exactly the easiest way to make a living. So we've been looking for different ways to do it. And when we compost and we have the finished compost, we do sell it to people who have gardens. You can compost in different ways at your own farm, um, at your own house. You can build actually anything you want to make a compost bin. And if you go on Pinterest or you go on anything on the internet, you can find just a million pictures of how you can make a compost bin. And some of them are pretty. And that's great for people who want their garden to look pretty. And some of them are functional. And some of them are just piles. Okay, The sign says compost in it. You can really do it any way you want. The, whole, the main basics of it, if I remember right, lots of different ways. 
You can use wood. You don't want to use um, green treated wood though. That's one thing that if you think about it, people might want, oh, say I'm going to use green treated because I don't want my wood to rot. But a lot of that green treated has copper sulfate in it and the old green treated has arsenic in it. And you don't want that to be pulled out into your compost and then into your food. Okay, so always make sure that you use just plain lumber or cedar. Cedar will work better, it won't rot as much as pine. There's a list, I'm not going to read it off, of everything you can compost. There's browns and greens. Now you can have a lot, I'm, like I said, I'm not an expert on this, but there are a lot of people who have a lot of different ways of composting. They're going to tell you, make it like your lasagna garden. You put in a layer of this and a layer of that, and you have to do it like this and you have to do it like that. And I don't think that boxing yourself in that way is a real good use of God's way to make the compost. He's the one that does all the work. The bugs in there are the ones that do all the work. You don't want to put things in there like chemicals or, or, or let it drown out. You can't let it get completely wet or it won't work. But you just kind of let the animals, the little bugs in there, do their thing. Find all the different things that you can compost, pick a place to do it, and then let nature take its course. Um, are there questions? Okay, the question is can you put citrus and lemon in there? And the answer is you can, and I'm not exactly sure why um, some people don't. Um, I know that it, it, something about the way it breaks down, and I know, like I said before, we actually have a citrus spray that we use as a herbicide, and it's, it's all natural, it's just a cleaner, and it strips off the waxes. So if I was going, and then the, the sun actually hits the leaves, and that's what kills the plant, that's what we use as a herbicide. Um, so there's possibly something that has to do with that, but we put citrus in our compost from the house as well, and we've never had any trouble. Now maybe you can't compost an entire, you know, pile of citrus, but a little bit isn't going to hurt it. Okay, the question is about cover crops in the home garden. When you're doing a home garden, it is a little difficult to use cover crops on that small of a scale. It's something that you're going to have to spend a lot of time thinking about because one crop that follows the next crop that follows the next crop, there's usually a progression that will help your fields. We use a lot of interseeding. If we're planting corn, we'll plant clover in between it. If I'm planting potatoes, I'm going to plant flaxseed along with my potatoes. Now you can consider that a cover crop because what it does is it's going to kind of smush out the weeds if the, if the cover crop takes off really well. Okay, so we use cover crops to suppress plants, from other plants from growing. They're gonna compete for light, for water, for nutrients, and if we get the crop that we want to grow that we either easily can kill later on or that doesn't hurt our plant, then that's the one that we want growing there. Um, we'll put, again, the example with um, the flax inside of the potatoes, the flax has a smell that will make the potato bugs go away, okay? Hopefully. <laughs> it doesn't always work that great. But we'll find a lot less potato bugs on the potatoes when we plant flax in, in between them. And that's a companion crop that can also be used as a cover crop because if that flax is growing there, it's going to shade out the weeds. That's exactly what I used. I bought some flax at the store, organic raw. You can't buy, you can't buy just organic because they might have done something to it like heated it up. But you buy organic raw flaxseed and I just threw them out there and it grew and it did work fairly well. I wish it would have gotten every potato bug gone, but most of them are. It was much better. 
Um, as far as cover crops and restoring the soil, if you're doing, if a lot of people do raised beds, and cover crops are, the, the purpose of the cover crop a lot of times is to help with erosion or to feed your biome. If you have a raised bed this wide, and then you have grass here, you're gonna always have life in that soil. You're gonna have places for those animals, those little animals underground to grow. But you can plant different ones like buckwheat, um, ryegrass, annual ryegrass over the top of it to kind of suppress the weeds over the winter. And then those crops will come up like a, a buckwheat. If you cut it when it's this tall, it won't come back again. If you wait till it goes to seed, you're gonna have buckwheat in your garden forever. Okay, the question was, is using mulch to cover your, your garden bed at home the same as using a cover crop? The answer is to that, not quite the same, but again, it depends a lot about how you make your garden. If you have a garden that is the size of this room and you plow it under every year and you don't put anything on it, then you don't have enough, bio, uh, enough to feed your biome. If you have rows, I think, and this again is my opinion as a farmer's wife, I'm no expert on any of this stuff, but I think that it's, it's enough when you have just the rows is, is good. Mulch is great and your, um, your compost will add a lot of biome to your life, uh, biome life to your garden, so compost is a great way to put it on there. Cover crops, if you can throw out annual ryegrass or buckwheat or, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of kinds for where you live particular, that's the other part of, that's a little bit hard because everyone's from a different part of the country. Where you live, you are gonna specifically have ones that work better for you. And what you are specifically trying to do in your ground, you might need a different kind of cover crop than I might need or someone in Texas or someone in Florida. And a great resource is the NRCS. Uh, your, F, um, your farm service agency, your extension office. In Wisconsin, we have a very, very active extension office that will answer questions about anything. We have master gardeners that you can call in and they'll, they'll, tell, they'll help, you can ask them a question, and they'll, they'll have the answers for your area. Uh, the question was about nitrogen fixing cover crops. You can use different cover crops, like alfalfa is a wonderful nitrogen fixer. It will take nitrogen out of the air and through the plant, put it into the roots. Okay, and then it stays there for your next crop. Like if you grow alfalfa one year, the next year you grow corn because there is so much nitrogen that that corn can use. On a garden scale, I'm not sure that you could grow, it depends upon, again, your size of the garden. Myself, I'm thinking about row, row gardens with grasses in between would be a little difficult. If you have a large area to plant alfalfa or hairy vetch or different ones that actually, or peas. Actually, peas are great nitrogen fixtures as well, peas, yeah. And then it's kind of cool because in the spring, if you plant peas, it'll fix nitrogen and you can go pick peas and eat peas. Uh, the question was about um, a barrel that would spin to compost. And if you don't put some kind of starter in there, it's not gonna work as well. But you, you wouldn't wanna do this in your kitchen, but you can do this in, in your garden. You wanna put a starter into your compost. Dig some dirt, get a handful of worms from your garden, get a handful of dirt from your garden, put it into your barrel so that you're putting some life in there, then you can compost it, okay? So it's gonna touch the ground and get the worms and everything that way, or else you can put it in, okay? The question is about expansion into a new area. What is the size of the area? 11 acres of all weeds. Okay. Not all weeds. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> well, it'd be fun. We've done that before. 
used to be a pasture. Okay, if I had um, five acres that I was trying to get rid of the weeds on so that someday I could maybe make a garden or, or grow some kind of crop on that, and I didn't want to use herbicides, okay, I, you can't cover that and you can't turn that much into, into dark. You can't do that. So if you don't want to do it a section at a time, what I would do is mow. No matter what you do, you're going to have those weed seeds in there. And some of those weed seeds, like velvet leaf, will live, we don't even know how long, 20, 30 years. So you're going to have seeds. And every time you till, you're going to bring new seeds up. But one of the best ways to get rid of, of the weeds is to mow them. Because most of the weeds will come up. A lot of them are annuals, and they're done. Some of them have tap roots, and they come up year after year after year. But if you mow and you don't let them go to seed, you'll get rid of the ones you have. Then you can add in their clover. Um, either rye would also be a good one for that. Anything that's going to grow up big and healthy and shade out the weeds. Okay, but we use when we're on the farm and we're trying to do a, a new field. Um, when we were becoming certified organic, that's what we did: is we planted hay because we'd mow it four times a year, and the weeds would be cut off before they went to seed. And that um, alfalfa fixed nitrogen, and it shaded out the other weeds that were coming up. So that's about the only way you can fix something that I know of that you can fix something that large: mow and plant something that will compete with the weeds. Yes. Okay, so when you become certified organic on a farming scale, the rule is 36 months from the time when you use any kind of pesticide. So in your home garden, it's going to be pretty much about the same. That would be about how long it takes to leach it out of the soil, to break it down until that pesticide, that herbicide, is not there anymore. You're never going to be perfect. Once the, once the ground has that on, it has it on. There are soil remediating crops that you can, you know, you can plant. Um, I won't talk about those today, but you can, you can do different, um, different things. But the, the best thing is to, to wait. I mean, you can start, but you, if you know that someone dumped Roundup on there, you know. But I, honestly, if you buy something at the store, it was grown on soil that had that on it. And what you're doing in your home, if you're six months away from that chemical or you're a month away from that chemical, you're still better. But if you want to know for sure that there's no chemicals in there, you really need to wait. But again, it's not going to be anything worse than what you buy at the store. It's going to be better. The question and the answer was about raised beds that is better than planting into ground that you know has been used for, with chemicals. Unfortunately, if you haven't lived there, we've lived on our farm. My husband's grandfather bought it, so we know everything that went into the soil. But we also know that in the 60s, they used atrazine. So, you know, that, and we used to go out and, and eat corn from the field, from the field corn, and it had been sprayed with atrazine, and we're, it's crazy. But um, again, like I said, the world is waxing old. God's in control of all of this. We can scare the bejeebies out of our kids and make them worry about every single thing that goes in their mouth. Or we can kind of trust God to take care of us in the parts that we can't always do ourselves. And I think that's really important because kids get too worried and then they're afraid to eat this and afraid to eat that. I mean, yes, we don't need the junk food and we don't need stuff that we know is bad, but we have to let, and we have to realize that God really is in control of this, just like he's in control of everything. And that's for the organic part of it. That's what made me not be so worried about being certified organic anymore. At first it's like, oh yeah, organic's gonna you know, fix the world. And then I met Adventists and started being like you guys and you know then that all, it all changed so let's just end with prayer
Thank you very much for being patient with all my stuff. Dear Lord, I want to thank you so much for um, oh, giving me enough to talk about for an hour. I worried about that. I want you to put your hand on all these people that are here. Bless their endeavors. Whatever it is that they need, give it to them in their gardens as they strive to make a better life for themselves and their families. Please let us not worry our children. Let's just do the best job that we can for them. And we know that you'll bless all of our endeavors. In your most precious name, we thank you for every part of the garden you've given us. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.